Merry Christmas again. And if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do. Go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And if you are a visitor or a guest here with us this week, we're glad that you're here. This is a great week for you to be here because we're starting this new series called Christmas Songs. And we're going to be looking at uh, the first song of Christmas, first carol of Christmas that Mary, the mother of Christ, uh, lifted up and praise. And so that's where we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And if you're not just new to the church, maybe you're new to faith and new to this whole Bible thing, once again, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we believe that God's Word is, is the Bible, and we open it up each week and allow it to shape our, our hearts and our lives. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Luke is in the right side called the New Testament. The large number that you'll find is the chapter number, and the smaller numbers are the verses. It'll be in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And as you make your way there, and we start this series on Christmas songs, I'm thinking about it this week. And Christmas music always has this sentimental effect uh, for our hearts and our minds, right? A lot of Christmas music is profoundly saddening. <laughs> like, you listen to it, you're like, oh, that's just kind of sad. And yet there's something about Christmas music that is deeply comforting. Uh, Christmas music never goes away. It might be going to hibernation, but we know it's coming back next year, right, November. It's going to come back out in November and December. And so these songs continue to just kind of shape us in some ways, and so I was just curious, some of the top songs, so I looked at the Billboard chart of top, like, kind of popular secular songs that, that we see. Uh, you've got uh, White Christmas is up there towards the top. Uh, Feliz Navidad, David's going to sing for us one of these weeks of Christmas, so he'll come up here and sing. we got that song. Um, Santa Claus is Coming to Town is one of those top Billboard, top ten Christmas songs. Uh, but the number one overall, just think right now, what's your guess at what you think? Billboard charts, number one Christmas song overall is. Just, you don't have to say it out loud, but just, yeah, Mariah Carey takes the top, top of the chart with uh, All I Want for Christmas is You. That was what was ranked number one overall. Um, but for us, uh, within even the, the Christian faith and the, the church world, we have theological carols that are rich, uh, kind of our top, top of the chart songs. I mean, we've got songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Got joy to the world. Come, all ye faithful. I mean, these are rich theological songs that express our faith and our trust in Christ as our King. What's fascinating as we look at all these Christmas songs is that people have been singing about Christmas since the very first Christmas. And this passage in Luke 1 is what I believe, like I said, is the first Christmas song ever sung. And it's Mary's song. So you follow along as I read. Starting in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, says this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
This is the word of God. Pray with me this morning. Merciful Lord God, we praise you. We praise you for you are strong and you are mighty and you are holy. You have done great things for us. And Christmas is a reminder of the the great things that you have done. Though you were rich, you became poor. Though you were enthroned in heaven, you came down to earth to seek and to save us who were lost. We praise you. We praise you and ask that today you would stir our hearts with affection, that we would worship you. And stir our hearts with this truth that we would worship you throughout our week to the glory of your name. Now let me invite you in this moment of silence to pray that God would speak to you and stir your heart through this song of Mary this morning. Pray and ask him to do that now. Thank you that you hear us when we pray. And we ask that you would hear our request this morning, that you stir our hearts and that you would speak to us. And I ask that you would speak through weakness this morning as I proclaim your word to the glory of your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, this passage unfolds several truths about God that have tangible implications on our lives. And I want us to see each one of those this morning. And the first is this. This song, Mary's song, should lead us to worship God. Mary's song should lead us to worship God. Becoming Christ is not meant for us just to have a sentimental moment, but to stir our hearts to praise and to worship the king of all creation. And this is what it's all about. And this is what Mary says as the first two verses that we read in the song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What this is saying when she talks about her soul and she talks about her spirit, it's the very core of her. From the very heart, something from the inside flows out into worship and praise as she thinks about what God has done this very first Christmas. This is what's stirring in her heart. It's worship. She would magnify, that she would rejoice in the Lord. Now this is important because Mary doesn't start this song and say, Hey, guess what? I, I found a, a way to, to have improvement in my life. She doesn't even start to say, I've discovered a new technique to overcome negative thoughts in my mind. Instead, she says, my soul and my spirit have been moved to the depths, to the core. Why? Because of the Lord. Because of the Lord. And see, oftentimes when you and I hear Christmas songs and Christmas carols, we might get that warm, sentimental feeling But that's not what Mary's feeling as she sings this song right now. There's something much deeper than that. Mary's experiencing worship and praise because of the great things that God has done for her. And I think the difference between us when we hear a Christmas song that we love and is familiar to us, and what Mary is proclaiming right here is, the difference is Mary is believing in God. And praising God and worshiping. She knows about that which she is singing. It's not just words that she's familiar with, but truth that has gripped her in soul and spirit. 
She gives several attributes of who the Lord is in this passage. And this is what's cultivating praise in her life and what should cultivate praise in our lives today. In verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices, which we'll get back to that in a minute, but my spirit rejoices in what? In God, my Savior. The song starts, and Mary is praising God because she knows that she's in sin in need of a Savior. A lot of times we lift Mary up and we're like, well, she was perfect and she was flawless. And Mary right here in her song, as she starts, she's like, no. As I carry the Christ in my womb, I realize that he is my Savior, that I need to be rescued, that I need to be redeemed. She's proclaiming this because she knows the depths of her sin. She makes it personal. She doesn't sing a song and say, My spirit rejoices in God who saves all of you people who are wretched while I'm doing great. No, he is the Lord God, my Savior. He is the Lord God that would be your Savior if you would repent and look to him today and to believe in him. And that's what Mary is doing. She realizes that she carries Jesus in her womb, that the Son of God has become man. She realizes the truth that why Jesus has done all this so that humans can become sons and daughters of God. She realizes that she needs a Savior. She needs a Savior. We come to Christmas and we hear songs. Our hearts will sing forth praise. Our soul and our spirit will praise the Lord if we realize this truth that we are in need of a Savior. And that this baby that we would grow up and live a sinless life and down the cross for our sins and forgive us and defeat the curse of sin as he defeats the grave. It will stir in our hearts praise to him. We need to think on what great links he has gone through to deal with our sin, to deal with our guilt, to deal with our flaws and failures. You see, Christmas is the expression of the saving love of God. It's not just a set of nice stories that we frame in a nativity scene. No, this is something that takes our hearts and leads us to worship the one who has brought salvation to us. And this is what leads Mary to praise God. She doesn't just see him as the Savior, though he is, she also sees him in his mighty power. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. She's proclaiming the might of God. Christmas should remind you and I of the infinite power of God. See, just a chapter earlier, as Mary hears the the, the news from the angel that she's going to have a baby, her response is, how is this possible? How can a virgin have a child? How is this even going to work? Though it's impossible for man, it's possible for God because he is the almighty one. He's the almighty one. And she doesn't say in verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me because I've earned them. No, he has done great things because he is Savior. And he is the almighty one. See, we need to remember the great strength and might of our God. See, Mary believes in this this moment there's a way that she can conceive a child through the almighty infinite power of God. But as Christ comes and is born and lives his life, we realize this truth too that he is the God Almighty. For there's no sickness that he could not cure. There's no demon that he couldn't 
command. There's no storm that he couldn't still with just a voice. There's no grave that he couldn't empty through his power. The same is true even for today. There's no fear that we have that he can't fix. There's nothing that scares us that he can't overcome with his might. As we come into Christmas, these are the things that we rest in and find joy in and that stir our worship. Christmas is an expression of the might of God. And this should lead us to worship him. Another attribute that Mary proclaims in this song is that he's holy. The very next verse, or the, I guess the bottom of verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Holy is his name. God is holy. That means set apart. He's not like anything else. He's completely different than anything we know in all of creation. Why? Because he's the one that's created everything. He's holy and he's set apart. And holiness is oftentimes referring to the fact that he can't be in the presence of sin at all. Because he is holy, holy, holy. And she realizes, yes, he is a mighty God, but he is also a holy God. And this, this is why verse 48 is so beautiful to me. Because if you look back at verse 48, she says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. The God, the God who is almighty, who has all strength and all authority, the one who is holy, 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 and cannot be in the presence of sin, he is the one who looks at us in our humble state, in our sin, in our transgressions, in our iniquity. He looks on us. Did you get that? He sees you and he sees me. He's so transcendent. And yet he's so eminent to be with us. And this is, this is who our God is. I find it fascinating that our culture, anytime somebody's kind of, we see as famous or above us, kind of stoops low to interact with the average Joe. Like we, we talk about it on social media, we talk about it on the news. Like even over the last few weeks, you've probably seen some of these things. Like Dwayne Johnson bought a Snickers bar for a guy at a gas station. I don't know if you saw this. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, look how Dwayne the Rock Johnson, this famous actor that's made all this money, like bought a candy bar for this guy that's just average Joe. And I'm like, man, maybe you should have bought something like better than a candy bar, right? Like we're celebrating a candy bar, man. This guy's made millions. But we look at that and we're like, wow, like the famous one like stoops low to the average person. Some of you all might have saw that uh, Keanu Reeves signed an autograph for a fan at an airport. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, look, Keanu Reeves signed an autograph for a fan and actually talked to him. I'm like, man, there's something within us that, that sees that as amazing. That something that we perceive as famous or above us would stoop low. Now as we come to Christmas, <laughs> this is a much bigger, larger picture of that. Where the Lord God Almighty, who is holy and far above us, he humbles himself and he looks upon the humble. And he comes down to us at Christmas. And he makes a way for us to be in his presence. I mean, when it talks about the holiness of God here, we've got to grasp that and understand that at Christmas. Because it should stir our hearts to worship. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if you could have a nice Christmas meal. you got a plate. And you've got your Christmas turkey on there. You've got your mac and cheese got mashed potatoes, it's an all-carb diet, right? Maybe just a little, little salad there on the corner. And that's what you're, you're eating. 
But what if you looked at that meal and then right there in the middle of that was a piece of rotting flesh? Like a decaying carcass is there in the middle of that plate. If that were you and this is a Christmas dinner, you're like, I'm out. Like, I'm not sitting down. I'm not even going to sit at the table anymore. Like, I've got to get away. And I'm certainly not eating anything around that. That thing's touching because that's, that's gross. That's nasty. And that's a glimpse for us to understand our sin in the presence of the holy God who is perfect. And yet, though he looks at us in our needy, humble estate, he brings salvation to us. He brings salvation. You see... Everything that Mary is praising about God in this song is the gospel. It's the gospel. Think about this. Because God is holy, he has to do something about our sin. He's got to remove it as far as east is from the west if he wants to have a relationship with us. Because he's mighty, he's able to do something about that sin so that we can be in his presence. And because he is our savior, he wants to do something about that sin. And he makes the way as he goes to the cross and dies for our sin. This is what we remember at Christmas. This is what Mary is praising in this moment. Now, I told you I'd come back to this, but in verse 47, where she says, My spirit rejoices in the God of my salvation or my Savior. What is your heart rejoicing in this Christmas? What is it that you find joy and excitement about? You see, what we find joy and excitement about is like a a fire detector for our souls. The smoke of our joy rises up and sets off that alarm and we're so excited. What is it that alarm is going off in? Did you come in here today and sing these songs and joy comes up in your heart? Because you're remembering that this God, this infinite one became humble and was born as a baby in order to rescue and redeem you. Does that stir your heart to realize that he is the Holy One who is almighty, who can rescue you from your sins? This is what should be stirring in our hearts. This is what's stirring in Mary's heart. This is why she sings and there's worship at Christmas. So what is it that creates your joy? What is it? And would you pray, God, may I find my deep resting joy in praising you. And worshiping you, not just with my lips, but with my life. This is what God is calling us to do. This is what Mary's song is reminding us. Mary's song doesn't just lead us to worship, but it also reveals the blessing that is offered to us from God. Mary's song should reveal to us the blessing of God. Now this word blessed or blessing gets thrown around a lot in our culture. We Use it to talk about somebody that might be very talented, like they sing really well, like that person is very blessed, or somebody that wins the lottery, has a lot of money or something like, oh, that, that's, a, that's a blessed person. Or the most common way we use this term blessed or blessing is when somebody sneezes, or like bless you, which I don't know about you, but when I sneeze, that's not the time when I need the most blessing, right? Like why in the world we do that? We don't even know. We just like bless you. You know, it's just polite. So I had to look it up just because I'm curious. Most, most scholars believe that we say bless you when somebody sneezes because we lose, at least in the past, we lose a bit of our spirit. So when you bless somebody, the spirit kind of goes back in them, which is not theologically correct at all, okay? <laughs> but that's, uh, that's, that's where it came from, this tradition that we have. And so there's a lot of confusion for us about this blessing. But Mary says in verse 48, Behold, 
from now on all generations shall will call me blessed. How was Mary blessed? Thankfully, we don't have to invent a way or try to uh, pull something out of the, the thin air. Just a few verses before this, same chapter, Luke 1, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth tells us in verse 42 and in verse 45 why Mary is blessed. Look back real quick with me. It says, and she exclaimed with a, a loud cry, this is Elizabeth, blessed are you among women, speaking to Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She's saying, because you carry the Christ, the Son of God, the one who would judge humans and angels, the one who holds everything together, because you are the mother of that child, you are blessed. Which is great, but let's be honest, that doesn't apply to anybody else in the history of the world, right? We're like, well, that's good for Mary. But the next way that she's blessed that Elizabeth brings out does apply to every one of us, or could apply to every one of us. It says in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The two ways that she is blessed is one, she carries Christ in her womb. But the second, she is blessed is because she believes. She believes what the Lord has said, what the Lord has promised in generations past, and what the Lord has promised to her. She believes what the Lord has spoken, and God says, you are blessed. Now, what's amazing about that is Jesus is going to reiterate this later on in his ministry and in his life. You get to the Luke chapter 11, and Jesus is preaching and he's teaching. And he must have been preaching just this amazing message that this woman in the crowd that's listening to Jesus teach. She says this in Luke 11, verse 27. And when he had said these things, that's Jesus speaking, a woman from the crowd raises up her voice and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And the breast at which you nursed. In other words, she's crying out, your mom must have been so amazing to have a son like you. She's truly blessed, right? That's what she's saying in this moment. Now I love what Jesus says in response to this woman. Who wants to just do nothing but praise Mary in this time. The very next verse, Luke 11, verse 28. But Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and keep it. And keep it. To hear it and to keep it. And to hear the word is what we're doing right now. We are blessed when we hear God's word, as we read it and we sing it. God would say, you're blessed. But not just blessed when you hear it, but that you keep it. You do something with it. So yes, it's great to listen to it preached. It's great to, to read it on your own. It's great to memorize it and hide it in your heart. But you can't just do those things. You have to keep it. Don't be swayed and governed by the, the culture, but be swayed and governed by God's word. Be committed to, to the endurance of obedience to the, to the Lord. And that's what it means. And Jesus is speaking, saying, no, the truly blessed, those who are really blessed are those who hear my word and who keep it. So let us be blessed today. By hearing and keeping God's word, just as Mary did. Because here's the truth, and here's the reality that we have to grasp. We are more blessed to have Christ in our heart and in our life than Mary did to have him in his womb. It is more blessed to have Christ in the arms of faith and in love than the physical arms that Mary had. 
That's what Jesus is saying in Luke 11. No, no, no. Blessed rather are those who hear my word and keep it. So church, as we come to Christmas, it's not just a baby in a manger that we pat on the head and tip our hat and move on. No, this is the king of all creation, the mighty one, the holy one, the one who would be your savior if you would bow your knee to him. This is what Christmas is all about. This is the blessing that Christ would extend to us today. We call Mary blessed, but Jesus would call all blessed who would believe in him and keep his word. Lastly, Mary's song should remind us of the mercy of God. Remind us of the mercy of God. Now this word mercy means compassion. His loving compassion. Christmas reminds us of his great mercy. His mercy acts not because she's earned it by doing something, but because God is graciously and mercifully giving her all these things. And Mary realizes that it's not based on her merit that she's earned his mercy, but she says he's been merciful for all who would fear him from generation to generation. This again applies to you and to me. That God extends mercy according to her song in verse 50, not just to her, but for all who would fear him from generation to generation. It's everyone. Now we either inflate or deflate this word of fear him. See, we either say, well, that's terrorizing, that you're scared. And I don't think that's what it's saying when it says to fear God. That's not a sense of terror. Or we'll try to water it down and say, well, it's just respect. That's what it means when he says to fear him, just respect him. And I think that's too watered down. But there's something in between that where there's a sense of reverence and awe because of who he is. And all who look at him with a sense of reverence and awe, or what verse 50 says, fear, they find his mercy from generation to generation. Not just for Mary, not just for the generation after that, but even for our generation today, his mercy is still there for all who would fear him. We see his mercy played out in all that he does, not in all that Mary has done. Did you see in almost every verse in this last section It starts with he has. Look at verse 51. He has. Verse 52. He has. Verse 53. He has. Verse 54. He has. This is showing that this is not something that we achieve but receive. Mary doesn't focus on all that she's done but all that he has done. Look at what he has done. And as you read these... Sometimes you read it and you're like, Mary, what's going on right here? Like, it was a really sweet, pretty song, and now it's like on the offense, right? Like, you're going pretty strong here that, like, you've shown strength by scattering the prideful, and those that are in their thrones you've brought low, and those that were rich you've emptied. Like, what are you talking about? Well, we don't have time to unpack all of this, but Mary's song right here is heavily, heavily influenced from passages in the Old Testament. And she had grown up, and she didn't have a copy of the Bible But she would have heard these messages and heard the word of God week after week after week. And as she's heard it and kept it, now she's praising God for his mercy in all these ways. And so, yeah, she's thinking back to passages in the Old Testament where God looks at King David in his weakness where he's a shepherd and he's the overlooked brother. And God says, no, that's going to be the coming king. And then he looks at Saul, who's filled with pride and sits on his throne and is trying to hold on to his kingdom. And she's like, no, that's the person that God will bring low. 
She's remembering the people of Egypt who were the least of the society and forgotten. And how God comes to them and rescues them. He looks at the mighty king, king and kingdom of Egypt. And he shows that he's even more powerful than them. And once again, he exalts those of, lumble, uh, of humble estate. She's remembering how God in his great mercy fed those people as they were out in the wilderness with manna from heaven. And how he provided for the widow who didn't have enough to feed her and her child, but for a little while. And God provided for her this meal. You see, she's remembering all these things that God has done. All these merciful acts. And she's praising him. Because this is who our God is. Now, Jesus is even going to take this, not just from the Old Testament, but he's going to push it forward to us as he speaks on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is going to say, Man, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not necessarily those that are kings, not necessarily those that are wealthy, certainly not those that are prideful, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He's going to say, yeah, I look at those who are poor and needy and spiritually hungry. And those are the ones that find salvation. Those are the ones that really find life. Those are the ones that God exalts and lifts up. So Mary might have been looking backwards, but Christ is going to point us forwards. Knowing, knowing that the poor in spirit will receive the mercy of God. Mary also, remembering all that God has done, remembers what God has promised in verse 55. She says, he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Why did she end there? Like, why is she ending her song with pointing out Abraham? Well, she's highlighting the very end of verse 54, the remembrance of his mercy. The remembrance of his mercy. You see, God had promised Abraham thousands of years beforehand that through him the world would be blessed. And now we're seeing the fulfillment of that happen right now as Christ comes from the lineage that you could trace all the way back to Abraham. God has promised Abraham that your descendants would bless the nations. And Christ is going to do that by bringing salvation for all who would believe. And she's saying this is a remembrance of his mercy. He remembers his promises. He remembers what he said he was going to do. You see, we might get busy in this Christmas season and forget things on the calendar or forget presents to buy for people or forget things that we're supposed to make for certain events. But God never forgets. He never forgets. He always remembers. He remembers his promises. He remembers his mercy. And Mary is praising God for that. Because it's been thousands and thousands of years since God has promised that to Abraham. And it's been hundreds and hundreds of years since God's people had heard anything from him. It's been 400 years since the last prophet has been on the scene to talk about the promises of God. And 400 years, four generations have gone by. And then Mary comes on the scene and says, but God has not forgotten. And that leads me to worship. God has not forgotten his mercy. He has not forgotten his promises. And so I will sing to him. I will worship him. We have to understand this truth this morning. That God never forgets his mercy. But at the same time, we desperately need his mercy. If we don't realize how much we need his mercy, then we will never worship nor praise him. And we will certainly certainly never find salvation in him. You see, for some of us, 
we hear about the mercy of God and how Christmas should remind us of the mercy of God. And we think, no, I'm good. I don't need the mercy of God. Like, I'm good before God because, like, I, I go to church regularly. And I was baptized at some point in my life. So, like, me and God, we're, we're good because of these things. But mercy is not, it's not earned. It's something that's given. It's a gift that God extends to us. We receive it, not achieve it. And some of us are like, well, I don't need God's mercy because I'm a self-sufficient person. Like, I'm a really good person. I follow these moral rules, and so I'm good before God. Jesus, honestly, Jesus wished it was that way. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus is about to go to the cross and die for your sins and for my sins so that we could be saved. And one of his last words that he speaks to God the Father in heaven is, can this cup pass for me? If there's any other way for, for you and I to be saved apart from him going to the cross, then let there be that. Let that happen. And Jesus says, but not my will, but your will be done. And God the Father doesn't respond to Jesus in that moment because there is no other way. That's what Jesus is asking. Is there another way for people to be saved from their sins? Is there another way for people to to enter into my holiness? Can they just be good enough? Can they just give enough money away? Can they just do these things and they can enter my presence? Like, God the Father, if there's any other way, then don't let me go to the cross. But there was no other way. And so Jesus, in his great mercy, remembering his promises, went to the cross for you and for me, because there was no other way. So please let Christmas remind you of the great mercy of God to come from his throne to be born in a manger in order to extend mercy and grace to all who would believe so that we can say just like Mary, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Would you do that today? Bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you for this gift of mercy. We thank you for it because we know that we need your mercy minute after minute and hour after hour. Lord, it's not something that we we work in order to achieve, but Lord, this is a gift. And no better time to remember the gift than Christmas. There was no other way for which we could be saved apart from the name of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for the one here today that has never believed, has tried to work their way to being right before you. And I pray that they today would take that step of faith so they could proclaim with Mary, the Lord God, my Savior. Lord, you have made a way. You made the way by coming from heaven to earth and dying in our place. And so, Lord, as you've paved that way, may we walk it believing and knowing that we can be saved. For those of us who have taken that that step of faith and trusted in you, God, would you stir our hearts to worship this Christmas? May what we find our greatest joy in be you. May the thing that we sing about be the joy from our heart because we know, God, you are the Holy One. You're the Almighty One. You are our Savior. And may it stir our hearts to sing praise to you. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing that you give us. We thank you for the blessing that you give us as we hear your word and as we respond to it. So Lord, help us to respond rightly to your word right now. It is in your